Hello you, welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we are talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And we're talking about this movie with the great Janet Varney. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors is a 1987 American fantasy slasher film directed by Chuck Russell. It's the third installment in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. The screenplay I'm noticing is by Wes Craven, Bruce Wagner, Chuck Russell, and Frank Darabont. And Frank Darabont, interestingly, uh, is known for uh, directing adaptations of Stephen King movies, such as Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Mist. So that's cool. Just noticing that, thanks to our uh, wonderful friend, wikipedia.org. And speaking of wonderful friends, we are joined today by Janet Varney, who we love so, so much. Janet is an actress, a comedian, a writer, and producer. She is known for voicing the character of Cora in the Nickelodeon animated television series, The Legend of Cora. Jen also hosts the JV Club podcast, has been doing that since 2012. There's over 500 episodes. I've been on it. Carolyn's been on it. Sarah's been on it. Janet's also the co-founder and creative director and producer of the long-running comedy festival SF Sketchfest in San Francisco. We love Janet Varney. How are you doing? How's everything going in your world? We want to know. Let us know over on Twitter.com, which is uh, bad. It's, it's a bad place. <laughs> It's increasingly becoming less and less usable. It's where people are mean generally. They just made it so you can't tell what a link is anymore. I mean, I don't, who, what's happening over there? But we're there. <laughs> who knows for how long? We're also on Blue Sky, which is a much more pleasant vibe. Uh, it's like a Twitter from 2009, uh, but almost exclusively queers. I love it so much. We're also on Instagram. You can find me over on uh, TikTok, uh, Alex Steed. We are posting more sort of videos related to the show, so you can see stuff like that there. But let us know how you're doing. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. You are good is made possible by your support. Thanks so much to everyone who supports the show on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. You make the whole thing possible. We're able to make the show because you give us a few dollars every month. And uh, that's wonderful. We really appreciate it. That's why we can make the show. That's why folks get paid. Uh, this is our livelihood. And we really appreciate that you make that possible. And when you support the show, you get bonus episodes. That's cool. We put out a bonus episode last month about girls just want to have fun. We will have a new bonus episode coming out this month. Monthly bonus episodes. It's beautiful. All for your support. And we appreciate that you are supporting us in that way. Super quick content warning. We talk about suicide in this episode. We talk about mental health and 1980s portrayals of mental health. We talk about institutionalized teens and we touch on rape in passing as it has something to do with the plot of this movie uh, or the backstory of this movie. So I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that those things come up in this conversation. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into our dreams where we can be both beautiful and bad. Let's talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, with our great friend, Janet Varney. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, bitch. Perfect. Sarah Marshall, what the fuck are we talking about? Alex, we're talking about... We're the dream warriors. Don't want to dream no more. Um, we're talking about a an 80s slasher movie with a fiction soundtrack. And this is not yes. a word I use terribly lightly. Mm -mm. And a movie that I think is acknowledged by heads to be the best of its franchise. It's a great example of what you can do with a horror movie that has too many sequels. It's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 colon Dream Warriors. Starring Patricia Arquette, Amazing. Heather Langenkamp, Amazing. Craig Wasson, and Priscilla Pointer. The credits came up. I was like, this movie stars Craig Wasson and Priscilla Pointer. It's amazing. And Larry Fishburne. Larry Fishburne. And John Saxon. I love that some teens went to the movies and they were like, I can't wait to see what Freddy's up to next. And they got like a talky, <laughs> Twin Peaksy. Before Twin Peaks, 
look into the Freddy verse. Really hilarious to me that that is it's so it's funny. Like I I don't visit this as often as I should, but like when I do, this is such a unique movie. <laughs> it's a unique horror sequel. It's so much weirder than I remembered it being. I remembered it being deeper and less kooky than it is, and I'm so happy that it's as all over the place and kooky as it is. Oh my and God. we have to introduce our guest because she's about to burst out of the grave like an animated <laughs> skeleton. She's about to burst out of the floor like a Freddy worm. <laughs> I cannot non-verbally agree with what you guys are doing more. I have hurt my neck and my face from trying so hard to communicate silently how much I agree with everything you said up to this point. This is Janet Varney who's talking. And Janet, I am really curious about why you brought this movie in particular. I don't. I, here's the problem. I'm afraid, and I know I'm on the right show for this, I am so afraid that if I start answering genuinely why I picked this, that we will have skipped over the plot of the movie and everything else and just mm. go straight into like the deep recesses of a teenage and child mind and heart. So I don't know. Well, let's do that. Let's do the plot and then the recesses for all of us. Yeah, we'll unpack. We'll go to recess after the plot. <laughs> OK, well, then, then but we'll unpack that. But who are you? Uh, I'm Janet Varney. I am a podcaster and I run a cool comedy festival called SF Sketchfest and I do some acting and I'm really excited to be talking with two people whose brains I adore about things I adore like movies. We love your brain too. It's a very special one. Special brain. Science is going to have to put it in a really nice jar for the Futurama <laughs> days. I've actually asked for a diamond crusted bag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a jar. <laughs> Sarah, can you do me a favor? Do oh, me a quick, I'll quick, try. Quick, quick favor. Yeah. Can you tell us yes. what Dream Warriors Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is about, both in text and vibe? All right. So I will begin by bringing everybody up to speed on the Nightmares on Elm Street, because I know some of you will want to know where we stand in all this. And we did do an episode... Our third ever episode of the show is on A Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one. It was a formative movie for both of us. And it's the reason that we are friends, Alex Deed. It's true. This and Tumblr. Wonderful. And um, and it was it was an exciting time. It was 2010. The fashion was as bad as it was ever going to be in America, arguably. <laughs> the girls on Sex in the City went to Abu Dhabi. And Alex and I met via Freddy Krueger gifts because we both had dad issues <laughs> and Freddy Krueger spoke to them in a way that is both obvious and troubling. <laughs> <laughs> so the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, you can hear us talk about it elsewhere, but the premise is very simple and wonderful. It's uh, Wes Craven's big breakthrough movie, though he'd done a bunch of stuff before that. And it's that there are these teenagers in small town, every town America who start having nightmares where they are being pursued by a scary man, um, classically trained theater actor, Robert Englund, wearing a bunch <laughs> of scar makeup and a filthy green and red sweater and a gross fedora. And he's got knife glove hands. <laughs> you know what he looks like. Why am I describing Freddy Krueger to you? <laughs> no, the, no, it's actually it's super helpful because he's so ubiquitous. And we're just so we're, we all just know what he looks like that. I had not fully thought through how little sense his outfit. actually <laughs> makes. He's wearing a Christmas sweater. Why is he wearing a fedora? He's self-conscious about his baldness. Doesn't Nan like Nancy wears a fedora at a funeral in this? And I found that to be very funny. Anyway, side note. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely a point where Nancy is wearing an outfit that I was like, oh, is it 1935? Yeah. Exactly. Nancy, a 21-year-old girl, dresses like a lady from the 30s. Yeah, because what we were doing at the time, I listen, I was putting together an outfit in my head today, which is basically what I have on now, which is like a long 
like ankle length floral print dress with a cardigan over it. And I was like, wow, this is how women dressed in the 90s, no matter what their marital status or age. If you were like 25 in the late 90s, you would fucking dress like the mom on wishbone. <laughs> I think I saw you in this outfit this morning. And I, it's my favorite you've ever worn. Wow. Truly. Thank you. Yeah. You had said earlier that you thought that the outfit would have been brought together by way of some like hiking boots. And I... Yes, I agree. Yeah, little hiking boots. And then a little strappy backpack, yes. I think, inevitably. I love it. Are we seeing a lot of strappy little backpacks since Y2K stuff is big? I was in Visalia, California the other day. Which is where all the Vogue editors <laughs> go to see the, the next top trends. It's where everyone who's doing it goes. And I, <laughs> I went to the barber. I had a lovely conversation. We were talking about like every single teenager in Visalia is dressed like it's 1993 yeah good for them they should want it to be 1993 yeah they're right I am not a person who's upset about I, like some people are like they're dressed like whatever I don't care I'm yeah. like do it it's great you look great the thing is teenagers can't fucking win right like if no. they all started wearing right. zoot suits yes. we would hate it <laughs> which I did to my prom no matter what period they emulate we hate it if they dress like they're young and we're yeah. old. We hate that. Like we just what what grown-ups like myself have to admit, and I'm not saying I feel this way, but I'm saying a lot of you feel this way, <laughs> is that you hate on things teenagers are doing because you hate the teens. You're jealous of them. Yeah, could be. And I get that. It's fair. But think about how much pain they're in all the time. Yeah. And you haven't made peace with your teenage self. Yes. And because you hate you. Yes, you're being mean to 15-year-old you. And you know what? When you were a teenager, you made the best of your time and you were a snack and you did great with your potential and you're here now because you believed in what your dreams were at that time. Yeah. You know, I promise whatever you're doing has something to do with that. This is what Dream Warriors is about. Thank you. It is in a way. <laughs> Loving teenagers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yes. So, oh my God. Okay, so A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> we haven't even talked about what has happened prior to this movie yet. Yeah, we're getting there. It's all, it's all part of it. We're all doing it. We're doing it. A Nightmare on Elm Street 1, we have our main characters, four teenagers who are all being terrorized by the scary man in their dreams. We open with Tina and Rod... All the kids in this have names like they're in the 50s. Our main characters are Tina, Rod, Glenn, played by a young Johnny Depp, and Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, light of my life, fire of my soul. And Nancy, as our main character, our final girl, if you will, figuring out what's going on and learning that her parents and the parents of her friends who Freddie is killing off all teamed up as vigilantes to kill him after he was a child murderer and heavily implied, although I think not stated, child molester in the neighborhood yeah. who was let off on a technicality. And so the neighborhood parents burned him to death in his own boiler room. And apparently the damage to the school was minimal. <laughs> yeah, it. He, I mean, I think we talked about this in the, the, the first episode, but like, it seems so obvious he was a child molester. Yeah. And at some point, like the studio was like, we can't have that. Yeah. yeah. Like we can have a burned knife finger man impale teenager mm -hmm. after teenager, but he cannot have been a child molester. Yeah. We can show it. We just can't say it. And that's <laughs> the 80s for you. Yes. It's so Catholic. It's wild. Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. There was God. I was reading just for my own educational purposes. The, to me anyway, infamous James Wolcott New Republic review of Catherine Harrison's The Kiss in like okay. 1994, which was a book Catherine Harrison wrote about having, and you know, to me pretty, like she was 20 at the time, but to me you still can't give consent in this relationship, a sexual relationship with her biological father. Yep, and this was right. a book that was like hugely, like I think sold very well. And the fact that it sold well was controversial at the time. And the way people described the controversy as typified in this review was basically like, why did she write that? That's gross. Why does she want attention? I hate this. She wants attention. And this review is all about this idea of like, isn't it tacky that she wrote this book? And it's like, what's wrong with us? Yeah. 
And the idea of like, well, we can profit off of the idea of, of sexual violence, but we can't talk about it. That would be horrible. Yeah. It's interesting that you have all this stuff in your brain and you went on to make a very successful show that should just be called What's Wrong With Us? <laughs> and then a, a successful offshoot called What's Wrong With Me? <laughs> Is that the movie one? That's this one. <laughs> Is that the movie one? What's Wrong With Me? What's Right With Sean Whalen? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jane, have you ever worked with Sean Whalen? <laughs> I was just thinking. I was going to ask you. I, I don't think so. He played Roach in People Under the Stairs. He yeah. sure did. Listen, don't think I don't know all about People Under the Stairs. And don't think that there's okay. probably not one degree of separation between us. I feel like you have to have voice acted together in something. I think it's entirely know. possible. It's entirely possible. That would just take a, a a weird, annoying, like, internet tool of having to be, like, Googling both of our names and hoping something came up. Understood. All right. What's uh, what's the prequel to this movie about? What's A Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> so A Nightmare on Elm Street, that's the premise. Their parents teamed up to burn to death an unconvicted uh, child murderer, etc., and were they in the right? Hard to say. He sure did come back as a dream demon, though, so we have to deal with that now. Nancy's dad is John Saxon from Enter the Dragon. Ever heard of him? It was impossible to make a B-movie for a good 20 years without the involvement of either John Saxon or Dick Miller, basically. Mm -hmm. That was the law. And ultimately, Nancy prevails. Um, she is able to pull Freddy out of the dream world and fill her home with improvised booby traps that she makes by reading a book i love a home alone yep it's a home alone it's so home alone it's the pre oh my god or is home alone just a nightmare on elm street really yes but with a little boy instead of a teenage girl like you're on my turf now movie mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah that's true it's like straw dogs it's a home team advantage yeah. movie like i grew up in the forest i'm gonna dig a pit with you know sharpened sticks that you're gonna chase me into and that's gonna be you know your scary hubris is gonna be the death of you because you're gonna get impaled like yeah. you know yeah you're on my turf now yeah they're great they, these movies are built on like strong color theory really solid images they all have kind of a music video vibe they all have good soundtracks yeah they've all read half up intro to freud they read like five pages of a nietzsche book and then they got tired yep yep they've maybe read a full young article they've read a young yeah and they and they jumped in and so nancy prevails we have kind of the classic slasher gotcha ending which i think the studio asked for where everything seems fine and it seems like her friends are back to life, but that it's not, oh no. But it contains the iconic ending where Nancy basically realizes that, w that the way to kill Freddy is to ignore him. <laughs> and the thing I did not ever piece together in this movie is they rationalize the gotcha ending in this movie. Oh. Because he shows at the in the ending of Nightmare on Elm Street, it's like mm -hmm. a sort of a weird kind of dream sequence where all of the kids are back together and they get in that like that sort of like beautiful 50s Cadillac mm -hmm. and then drive off. And in this movie, we learn that that Cadillac exists because that's Freddy's grave. Whoa, I never put that together. Why is that Freddy's grave? It's because they put the parents hide his body in the trunk of that uh, car. Yeah. So they, they like scooped up the burned remains of his corpse and put it in a car. Yeah. Um, I don't remember A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 at all. I don't remember what it's about. I don't remember what happens in it. It's an aside. Alex remembers what it's about. It's about gay anxiety. Gay anxiety. Okay, gay anxiety. Okay. Yeah. This first and the third movie, like, those are directly connected. This one is like a direct sequel to the original. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is like its own little fever dream. Okay. All right. I would say. And yeah, it's about a closeted gay teenage boy being tormented by Freddy. And it is like, it's truly like, people are always like, wow, this movie is gayer than we thought. But no, this movie is like, it's something special. I guess I'm gonna have to watch it. I don't, I'm sure I've seen it, but I don't remember it. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And then we kind of forget that that happened. And then we come out with this movie, which comes out in 1987, three years after the first one. The first movie was pretty low budget and was like a runaway hit. And so this movie is like, 
we've got a new crop of kids starting with Patricia Arquette, who is making a paper mache and popsicle stick house when we start at one in the morning, like you truly do when you're 15. She's chugging Diet Coke. Yeah. Listening to hair metal. Yeah. Trying to stay awake. Yeah. She's got a fancy mom who wants to get laid, Mm -hmm. who is of no help. She's got a date downstairs who's like, honey, where's the bourbon? Um, And she's like, listen, Kristen, I know you've got psychological issues, but I'm like really trying to have sex right now. (laughs) And tucks her in bed and then goes downstairs. And of course, Kristen immediately falls into a Freddy nightmare, which culminates in Freddy Really big trigger warning for this whole movie. There's a lot of like suicidality and self-harm stuff in it. We're spending a lot of it in an adolescent psych ward, which is wonderful as a premise. But like there's a Mm. lot of all that. A lot. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So (laughs) Freddie in in the at the start of a whole movie that is about him creating nightmare scenarios for teenagers with, you know, both psychological issues but also just like issues with their family and with being believed and not being believed because they're teens freddie makes it look as if patricia arquette has made a suicide attempt and so she is sent to be taken care of by dr craig wasson from body double just a classic 80s (laughs) just man who you forget what he looks like the second you're not looking at him And I like him in this. <laughs> well, here's what I have to say about that is he kind of looks like Robert England. <gasps> oh, yeah. He does. Whoa. I also don't feel like that's by accident. Like, I think that it's weird. It's a, he, They're both very distinct looking. That's really funny. And it's very interesting that they have the sort of adult hero who does believe the kids be mm-hmm. someone who really looks like the actor Robert England who kind of still looks like himself even when he's in Freddy makeup. So there's like a weird dichotomy of like, hey, there's a familiarity there and I'm seeing it yeah, in the good and the bad. Nancy's just a wash in ineffectual father figures. She's yes. just surrounded by them. Beating them off with a stick. Yep. Absolutely. Some of them are lasciviously flicking their tongue at her. Some of them are not listening to her advice and then listening to her advice. Some of them are drunk the whole time. Yeah. Some of them are her colleagues who are significantly older <laughs> and it's unclear how quickly they become an item, but it seems like instantly. Like instantly. within the first 30 seconds of her joining their team as an intern. There's also... Late in this movie, we have a moment where Patricia Arquette like kind of like wakes up and it seems for a second as if maybe the whole movie has been a dream Mm -hmm. and it's all okay. And then you're like, wait, did she have a dream about two adults she doesn't know having (laughs) a date at a Thai restaurant? Uh Oh, someone's (laughs) trying to think too much. I am guilty of the same thing. Listen, don't even get me started because right when you said... This is a thought that I hadn't bothered having until now we're talking about it. But it's, but the moment you said he creates this scenario in which it, she seems to have made a suicide attempt, I was like, wait, so does he does he know that she's going to get sent to the exact place where all the other kids are having the dreams? Like, is this fun for him? Does he somehow know that's going to happen? Is it meant to be? Or is it just a weird coincidence? <laughs> I had the same situation when the door shows up. Was he like in his head like, I don't should I do the door? Yeah. Like. Should I send the door in? What will be on the other side of the door? Like he's got a little ca- a mental catalog of like, the, or yeah. hmm, the fall through the bed. No, I've done that too many times. How about just a door? How about just a Monsters, Inc. door? Freddie, it's, it's, it, you could argue that Freddie thinks about Nancy a lot more than Freddie's dad thinks about Nancy. Then Nancy's dad thinks about Nancy. Yeah, sorry. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Then Nancy's I think that's dad. Right. We don't know which one is Freddie's dad, as we'll learn later, but we do know that Nancy's dad is not thinking about her as often as Freddie is. But wouldn't that be a great episode of Maury? Today on Maury, a hundred maniacs wait to find out who is the father. I can't remember if that's how Maury talks. It could be a pretty good impression. It's so dark. <laughs> Coming up, we have a bastard son whose father could be one of, or maybe more than, a hundred maniacs. Can a man have more than one father? Coming up on Maury. <laughs> so... Okay, so in this movie, it's a few years later, we've got a new crop of kids. Patricia Arquette is sent to 
um, a unit where it's it's like Degrassi, where she and a bunch of other kids who have self-harm and suicide attempts or addiction in the case of Taryn. And they also they all have um, nightmare problems. And of course, the doctors there reasonably, when you think about living in the world we live in, are like, well, yeah, you're all having nightmares and probably you're all talking to each other and therefore dreaming about the same person sometimes. But like that doesn't, you know mean that there's a scary man in your dreams who's going to kill you i mean that wouldn't happen i mean the nightmares are your fault because you are a person who is a bad person doing bad things Mm -hmm. and you hate yourself and that's why you're having nightmares is that that's the only accountability you're willing to take for what a bad child you are is you're you're punishing yourself by having nightmares and if you can work through your problems then you'll stop having nightmares because you'll stop hating yourself as much mm-hmm. right isn't that what the doctor says so i guess work through your problems yeah that'll be easy yeah that's the priscilla pointer approach that's priscilla pointer yeah and then who should appear but intern nancy and here's my fucking question is that this came out three years after the original movie and i don't remember if we say at some point if someone's like it's been x many years since this thing six years it's been six years so nancy is like 21 because she was 15 in the first movie that still doesn't make much sense because she's getting her they say that she's a graduate student she's very Mm -hmm. smart she's very very smart some of those programs two years for quickie masters and some stuff yeah so she's 21 she's a grad student intern at this hospital and she's like i know what these kids have And when Patricia Arquette is um, making a disturbance because they're trying to sedate her, she's not going to let anyone sedate her. And she's saying the Freddie rhyme, which is, of course, everybody. One, two, two, Freddie's coming for you. On point like normal. Three, four, lock the door. We're ready for the concert. Seven, yeah. Seven eight, eight. Better stay up late. Nine, nine ten, ten. Never, never sleep wake again. again. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Which, by the way, again, there is just so much vulnerability. I mean, that was a thing. Having had so much time pass since I last saw Dream Warriors, which was certainly the last time I watched a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Mm. I'm a little older and I have even more empathy and protective feelings towards the idea of as a child who had horrible night terrors, had Mm. to learn how to lucent dream to wake myself up out of nightmares. Mm. The vulnerability of being a young person and thinking, I I just can't ever go to sleep again. Like that is so yeah. hard and horrible to imagine. Like, well, I'll be okay if I just if I literally never go to sleep again. That talk about despair. Talk about despair. I was feeling the same way, a huge, huge way, thinking of these kids essentially imprisoned in this situation. And it's so bad. We learned that one of the kids cut his eyelids off oh so that he could stay awake and they're like i don't know who knows what's going on hard telling (laughs) oh these kids these kids they need nancy so much yeah and the original nightmare on elm street was inspired by you know just kind of i think a short news article or something that wes craven read that was about real teenagers who who died in some kind of circumstance similar to this and i think they were recent Hmong immigrants mm. and i don't i don't know if we ever really knew what was going on or how much of that you know story was true as reported but you know the idea of somehow trauma perhaps related or even or not but just like some kind of affliction that is physically real in a way that isn't believed by people is like that is like a true horror yes. thing that exists yes. for you know for most people at some point. Absolutely. And just the pa- you already feel so powerless as a as a child or even teenager. Just the powerlessness and feeling like I'm old enough to know I want to be able to make my own choices but but no one's letting me. So I'm it's almost the burden of knowledge. Like mm-hmm. I'm so close to making my own choices that now I have an awareness of how frustrating it is that I'm not believed or that I can't be like it's just oh there's just a lot going on there. I'm really worried about these kids. <laughs> 
it's rough and that but then you know nancy turns up and she's gonna help them and she she and Kristen really bond Kristen is patricia arquette's character and she realizes that Kristen has the ability to pull other people into her dream because she does that with nancy and so they set up a group hypnosis session and our kids let's list our kids we have um Kristen, patricia arquette we have Taryn, who's beautiful and bad and has addiction stuff. We have Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be on TV. We have Will. Who's Will? I can't remember. Will's the wizard. Will's the wizard. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Wizard Will. Joey. Phil makes puppets. Oh, Phil. We have a Phil and a Will. That's just irresponsible. Yeah. And who's made, made into a puppet. My favorite situation. We have Kincaid, who actually makes it through this whole movie good for him yeah shocking considering Kincaid is black and there is a trope until like five years ago that that would not get you through a horror movie the thing is I'd I would wonder I just want to see some data on this how many black characters die early in horror movies because what I suspect is that mainstream horror movies wrote so few black characters in the 80s that it's like actually the numbers are negligible Sure. All I can remember from like the Friday the 13th series is the guy who boxes Jason and Jason takes Manhattan. Yeah. And Jason punches his head off. Yeah. (laughs) Which is medically sound. I'm pretty sure. He sees Jason Voorhees. Yeah. And he's like, I (laughs) should box this guy. (laughs) Listen, Alex. Has this movie, Dream Warriors, taught you nothing? You use the tools and talents you have. That's true. Yeah. If he is a boxer... Then damn yes he should damn yes not an expression damn, damn yes. yes he should box Jason damn yes so we got all the kids yeah we got all the kids Joey is horny for a nurse they all have interests and weaknesses and Freddie will use them we have Larry Fishburne which is what he was still going by as an orderly slash like office manager I think yes super warm super yeah, adorable he's wonderful does is is not in it much and yet I really genuinely think i'm like he really cares about these kids yeah he really cares about his kids he's doing he wants to do the best job he can maybe he's gonna bend the rules a little bit if it's you know if it makes sense he's not super by the book yet he's just like he's there he's showing up for these kids yeah and he has so little to do but he really stands out in this movie and it's i don't know it's great to see him kind of at the start of his career in movies. And so basically we we get the kids together for like a group hypnosis session. Nancy is like, listen, I have a plan. We're all going to like do group hypnosis. So we end up in the same dream place. And then we're going to discover our powers and fight Freddy together and team up. Real quick also about the sort of shared dream thing. Yeah. Please. Dreamscape, another huge, huge movie for me as a kiddo. That is a Dennis Quaid movie in which he has this gift in which he can go into dreams. And the large part of that movie is he, he is trying to help a child who is his sort of dream has been infected by a different type of bad person who can also jump into dreams. So I, that mm-hmm. is several years before this. I'm not sure if it was like inspire like the person who was working on this said you know what i'd love to see more of that type of new trope or whatever well you know what i guess look this up because the guy who directed this chuck russell was one of the writers on dreamscape yeah chuck russell oh okay perfect ruck chessel i hope people call him chessel because um, <laughs> that is one of those names that you just want to quententino you know what i mean for sure so yeah we have this dreamscape premise which i love and janet i would love to hear more later on about like having to learn to lucid dream i this was a huge i don't know if it was from watching this movie or like knowing about this movie but around nine or ten so probably not watching the movie but around nine or ten i had very intense night terrors and someone taught me about writing like essentially creating your own hero to appear in your dream with you. And this isn't quite lucid dreaming, but this is like incorporating stuff into your dreams. And I was, I was a decent illustrator and artist when I was a, when I was even a young kid. And so I made my hero to appear in my dreams with me. And that hero saved me from stuff several times over. And I actually like stopped having regular dreams like that. Oh my God. No one taught me that. That's so cool. When I was little, I felt that I should try having an imaginary friend because I'd heard that that was a developmental phase that kids my age were having. 
And so I tried having Rockadoodle as an imaginary friend, Great. but I just, it didn't feel right. I felt <laughs> embarrassed by the whole thing. I, do, I have no memory of having an imaginary friend at all. So I must have skipped that too. I felt left out for not having one. Yeah. I like that you had an imaginary friend voiced by Glenn Campbell, Sarah. It just makes sense. <laughs> is that? I never thought of that. I just was very, I was very into that movie. I haven't seen it since I was like five. It is by Glenn Campbell. God. Where, so what's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors about? Great question. Okay, so we have the, they discover their powers. And soon after that, uh, Freddy does start picking off the kids. He's been just terrorizing them in their nightmares till now, but now he starts going for it. He kills Puppet Guy by puppeteering him out of a window, basically. All the kids gather to try and stop him, but all they succeed in doing is witnessing his death, which is great for them. Not to, not to make this even more of an aside, sorry, but the, potentially, like I think maybe my favorite kill in any 80s horror franchise movie. Yeah, it's... So creative. It's so creative. And, you know, those practical effects. I mean, I know it's like Oof. singing the same old song, but it seems like they use every type of physical practical effect that was available to them in the most joyful yeah. way, which is a weird thing to say mm -hmm. about a horror movie, but it is a very joyful, Agreed. cheeky genre i mean this particular iteration of horror as we all know very kind of campy but that's that just seems like they're everyone's having so much fun like Agreed. what if this puppet that's sort of faceless we sort of claymation it into freddie and then he snips his own strings and then he's just crawling around like it just feels so fun yeah <laughs> so re they really have fun with it it's great well, yeah, and I think that is like a big part of why this movie feels so good to watch if you like that kind of thing, which we do. And like, yeah, speaking of the like practical effects, creative kills, kids and their powers, whole kind of middle section. Like, yeah, what do you guys like and all that? What are your favorites and stuff? Agreed on the sinews and veins being used as puppeteer strings. It's so dark, so weird. Yeah. I like so we're dealing with some real nice sort of you know psychological demons here freddy uses your weakness to kill you yeah and you use your strength to overcome mm. your weakness yeah oh shit dude that's really good <laughs> sometimes it. it works and in inexplicably sometimes it doesn't like the the wizard kid will <sighs> he's i thought we were gonna have this great moment where will was like leaning into his strength yes. and he's yeah. like taking freddy down with spells and stuff and i was like yeah that's great and then freddy's like but I don't believe in fairy tales, which is funny because he's a dream demon. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he, uh, Will's killed. The kids all deserved more time with her powers. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Especially Will. I can't believe I'm saying that's my biggest complaint about this movie, but I really wanted to see them shine more. I wanted to see yeah, everyone, like, I wanted yeah. this movie to be longer. I actually want this movie to be longer. It felt too short. It does. I Well, me too. Let me see him be more of a wizard. Let me see him shoot more green lightning out of his fingers. Let me see, like, let, <laughs> I want to see all of that. Me too. What is Kincaid's power outside of just being a tough guy? He's just super strong. Yeah. He bends things. Punches through walls and yeah. I love when he finally comes through. Will is dead, unfortunately. Kincaid's still alive. He comes through and he says, Arquette says, um, Kincaid, I could kiss you. And he says, what's stopping you? And she does this really weird side kiss on his the back of his head. And he goes, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Also... <laughs> Cool. I feel like the most quoted line from this movie is welcome to primetime, bitch. bitch. And in that scene, we have Dick Cavett and Zsa Zsa Gabor. Amazing. There's so much to talk about with this movie. The first of two horror movies Dick Cavett's in within a two year period in the late 80s. What's the other one? It's Beetlejuice. Oh, my God. Where was he in Beetlejuice? Yeah, he's one of the dinner guests. Wow. And those people, when you see someone show up in a horror movie playing themselves, for me, that's a lot of cred. For me, I'm yes. like, oh, you're a playful person. Like, you're a fun, playful person. Agreed. Yeah, he's he's in it. There's also, oh, man, we have to talk about the Joey. We have to talk about the nurse. Yeah, let, let's talk about that, because that happens in, like, the first group hypnosis session. Yeah, jo so Joey, who is mute, as we understand it, in some way. I mean, he's choosing not to speak. We don't know. We actually, I don't think we know. I feel like the director owed this actor a favor. Like it's, it's possible. It's possible. And like, he's weirdly responsible for like a moment where everyone gets saved 
it, it, where you're like, wait, what? But anyway, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, wait, what? That was his power to seek a talk to? Anyway, but he has a crush on this attractive blonde. I mean, classic, like, Playboy magazine cover, mm-hmm. centerfold, but Beverly D'Angelo, like, yeah. Bo <laughs> Derek, Farrah Fawcett, like, every late 70s, early 80s, into late 80s, blonde, bodacious icon they found someone who sort of has all of that is i'm gonna go ahead and say with all due respect not a great actress no but it feels like purposeful yeah she feels like it feels like jenna maroney's playing this character <laughs> like we all understand that this woman's gonna bear her breasts and like she can't be like believable or good she's got to be like really stilted and and it's uncomfortable yeah but then she also becomes freddie So there's this weird transition where you see her as this kind of person that you sort of feel sorry for because you're like, oh, you're they've cast you because you were willing to take off your clothes. Potentially, potentially. And I don't mean that. And I I really don't. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's times were tough in 1987 for hot ladies. Times were tough in 1987. But then somehow like she gets way better because she kind of turns into freddie and she has to make all these like scary demonic faces and like mm-hmm. shoot tongues out of her mouth while she's mostly nude and immediately i was like i'm so sorry young lady i totally misjudged you like you're doing really hard stuff in a really like <laughs> weird funny campy scary moment and actually you're doing a pretty good job so then you have to like sort of go work backwards and go wait was she supposed to kind of be a bad actress yes. when it was his fantasy? The fantasy is that she's like, oh, Joey, I really like you. That makes sense to me somehow. This is what you think a blonde woman with beautiful breasts yeah. sounds like. Kind of not a human, just like a fantasy. He's reading the little Playboy centerfold questionnaire to himself yes. in his head. And that's what it sounds like. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. This movie is somehow... If you are a person who wants to read into things, there are a lot of layers and there's a lot of things that you can kind of get lost in, in what I would say is a great way because you're like, oh, I thought I was smarter than this movie. And now I'm not so sure. (laughs) I love that. I love that, too. I want to be taken to task in that way. And people talk, I think, lately about movies that are like anticipating fan responses and fans being bothered by plot holes and like trying to like over explain stuff. And like, that's not for a horror movie to do. Freddie can do basically whatever he wants. Like the point is not that it makes sense, but that it's satisfying. And like this movie is satisfying. Yeah, he and, and the director also made one of my all time favorite horror movies, the 1988 remake of The Blob, which is another just mm. like extremely entertaining, weirdly layered for a Kevin Dillon movie. <laughs> it's great. And it works kind of similar to this. You don't find all of his performances in movies to be layered. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a look, Angelo Badalamenti did the music. I know for this. Was the first it's thing. super slick and cool and badass. She, so the, I, I guess we said it. The nurse shoots tongues out. He is bound by writhing tongues. This kid, Joey. This didn't happen in this movie, or is it from a cut scene? Hmm. Is there a scene in one of these sequels where it's using Janet's perfect word to describe this nurse? Bodacious 80s body from neck down, but Freddy's face. Yes, that happens in one of these. Thank you. I was like, did I come up with that in my brain? It does. It definitely does. I thought it was this one. And it. I was, yeah. yeah. I thought maybe I was a, a specific kind of pervert. <laughs> no, that really, they really, they pushed it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely did. They definitely did. And that you have to push it hard after this movie. Because yeah. <laughs> you're right. There's that worm we see early on feels Beetlejuicy. Yeah. There's also in Dreamscape, there's like a snake man who sort of has the same long, sinewy snake meets person sort of scary thing but so well done like it looks great it just looks so good like all the effects look so good to me even in that way that you know that sort of retro way where like okay yes he's on a bed tied up by tongues and then the bed falls away and it's like you know just hell underneath there's just fire and scary and and brimstone whatever and it doesn't look like it's happening but it's so visually pleasing like a music video but it's like theatrically happening or something yeah exactly and once you make everything dreamlike and everything feels kind of fever dreamish then it sort of works that things feel like 
sometimes two dimensional, sometimes five dimensional, sometimes, you know what I mean? Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I think that our, our eyeballs just like make sense of practical effects pretty easily. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Great point. Great point. So that's Joey. <laughs> so that's Joey. Shit's getting real. Yeah. All the kids are picked off aside from, so I don't, just to, to get to through mm-hmm. some plot, all the kids are picked off, but Kincaid, Patricia Arquette and Nancy. But what about those like hungry mouths of uh, track marks? Yeah. There's, well, let's, yes. We can. <laughs> I'm it's hard to skip past it. There's so many beautiful kills. And if you have not seen them, you should sit with them and then really think about them. Meanwhile, Nancy realizing that this is a Freddy situation is like, I got to go find my dad and Nancy and her new boyfriend go. It's not real. They, we don't, there's not really a romantic connection, but she's like, when confronted with her uncaring father is like, I care for her. Uh, and so you have to fill in the blanks, but they confront her dad. Where's the body? Uh, he takes the the doctor to the like car impound lot to find Freddie's body. We don't know what happens with the dad. Later, Nancy's in the dream. Craig Wasson has also been talking periodically to clearly the ghost <laughs> of a dead nun to whom he is always like, hello, sister, how's your day going? And she communicates to him. She's like, yes. Freddie was born after a young nun, not me, of course, was locked into the sanitarium. She wasn't found for many days. Um, and so Freddie is the product of her being locked in with a hundred maniacs. There the she bastard is. son of a hundred maniacs. There she is. So clearly not dead. <sighs> this actress, who I feel pro- like probably had a very long and distinguished career. I bet she was in like, you know, the first like American production of a doll's house or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And here she is. And they're like, all right, here's your yes. line. Bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Got it. Oh. And she's like, what? show me the check. And then he's like, how could we defeat this ghost? And she's like, well, by burying his body on consecrated ground, obviously. Hello, it's the 80s. We have to have Catholicism. Right. She, she reminds him that if science is your only guide, you're fucked. You need a little... You need to believe in in sacred grounds and in dream demons. Yeah. That's going to get you through. Yeah. There's I mean, I feel like there's a lot of crucifixes in 80s stuff. Like, I think that's it's almost like that's like this sophisticated twist. Like, you know, there's (laughs) but there's an Indian burial ground underneath or like this. There's an old church in Salem that these bodies, you know, the building was built on top of like there's definitely this sort of like you're being punished god is involved hard to explain how or why but for sure god is involved you need in a situation where freddie is essentially a god Hmm. you (laughs) need a physical thing to do or it's never gonna end he's a god (laughs) yeah he's a god and so we end up with craig wasson like Mm. dumping out nancy's dad's whiskey flask and running into a church and scooping up some holy water and it's like well you got to do what you got to do so he's on a quest to like take john saxon with him to find and give a consecrated burial to freddie's remains which is just really funny to me meanwhile nancy finds out that uh Kristen has been sedated by Priscilla Pointer over at the teen hospital. And so she's got to round up the surviving teens and join Kristen in her dream and defeat Freddie in the house. And so we end up with this fantastic final act where like they find Freddie's remains, a Harryhausen-esque skeleton leaps up and starts fighting with everybody and like growling and stuff. It's incredible. I completely forgot that happened. Me too. It was a treat. Plenty of gory teen deaths. It feels like a totally different movie that that's possible that that would happen. But like, again... Pull out all the stops. What do you got? You want to do a stop motion skeleton because you like that and, you know, Clash of the Titans or whatever? I don't know. Sure. Go for it. Yeah. It feels like Sunday afternoon, Jason and the Argonauts, rainy day. You know, it's incredible. And then at the same time, we have Freddie does get John Saxon, Nancy's dad. He dies. And then Nancy and the teens finally defeat Freddie, evidently. And then... Nancy's dad is like, it's me, honey. I know I've been a pretty bad dad, but I'm dying. So I'm nice now. And I wanted to give you a big hug. So that'll go well, right? (sighs) 
and then Freddy, and then he's Freddy, because this is what Freddy does. And this is like the worst thing Freddy does, I think. He tempts Nancy to her death with a nice moment with her dad. Yeah. That's why Sarah and I came together so hard about father issues and Freddy Krueger. Because, like, that's how you should kill me. (laughs) (laughs) And so Nancy, with kind of her last bit of breath, like, does do some damage to Freddy. And then meanwhile, and this is somehow the crucial thing, Craig Wasson is like pouring holy water on his skeleton, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay. Yeah. And then that works. <laughs> he fills with holes of golden light. And as I imagine happens to everyone when they're demons who are being confronted with holy water, you have to spin around in a circle <laughs> And then what does he say? I, I, when he sees uh, Amanda Kruger, it's so funny that her name's, name's Amanda. That old ass nun born in 1909. Her name is Amanda. <laughs> so he sees her and he realizes that it's Amanda Kruger who has died in 1969 at the age of 61 or 60 or something. He says, it was you. Yeah. He says you were his mother. And it's like, yes. <laughs> and then the movie's over. And that's it. <laughs> Yeah, and then the surviving kids are Patricia Arquette, Kincaid, and Joey, who they rescued from his coma after Freddy wrote on his chest, come and get him, bitch. Yeah. It was a tremendous bloodbath. I have a list here. There's like 10 characters. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, what is this movie about? And Janet, like, we've done the plot. We've made it through. Tell us your feelings. I mean, we got to a lot of them. We got to a lot of them all the way through the journey. I do want to quickly shout out Patricia Arquette's screaming ability. A lot of screaming. Very solid screaming. Sometimes (laughs) screaming that is also just supposed to be dialogue, but it's still coming out in a scream. (laughs) Uh, No no shade there. I'm, I'm there for it. I love her. I continue to feel like she's just one of those actresses who's like just so vulnerable. She's just so available and so vulnerable in all of her roles. And I just love her. And I love that she's been able to kind of stretch her wings a little bit and playing like worse characters than victims or, you know, sweethearts. But I know, I mean, I I, I mean, I think we got there. I I just, again, I feel so much empathy for these kids. I do want to see them. I think you said it, Alex, like, understanding that your weakness makes you vulnerable and then finding out if your strength is the thing that is going to at least mitigate your fear of your weakness. Like it doesn't get rid of your weakness, which I think is Mm. kind of wonderful. Like it doesn't necessarily change who you are. You just find out that you can kind of supplement Mm -hmm. the things that you feel frail about with these other things that you love or care about. I love that it's a team Again, as an only child who had night terrors, like I would just the idea of, you know, I got you. I got you. I see you. Kids want to feel seen. Mm -hmm. Teenagers want to feel seen. This is a place where they feel seen by more characters than you would normally see, I think, in a horror movie, up to and including a couple of grownups who are like on their side. And Mm -hmm. I wish they all could have saved themselves and each other it makes me really sad that anyone in the kid category had to die but i do understand that it's a horror movie well because so much of the horror right to the point of the thing that we're so frustrated about is you know some some grand action is done in the name of the kids which is like killing freddie extrajudicially that's like all the parents ever do for the kids because the parents are like never there for the children in a real way and like that's like super real and then the rest of the horror comes from like the kids being unseen or unheard for sequel after sequel. Yeah. It would be nice if, although I know Freddy's kink is murdering children, it would be nice if he would pivot to targeting all the adults that wronged him. Like why, if you are a dream demon and you can be, and a bunch of adults killed you. I like what I like, Alex. <laughs> in theory, tormenting the children is a way to get to the adults, but the adults don't care about the kids. So it would be nice if Freddy targeted some adults. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he would get power from the souls of adults, though. Like, he, you know, he, don't. I don't think he explores that. It, yeah. But like, OK, here's a question. And this is not a like super serious question, but I think it's a fun question, which is like, does Freddy like have a life when he is not manifesting in the consciousness of one of his victims? I mean, it's a great question. <laughs> like, is he around? Because apparently he can't be two places at once or he can't. I mean, can he? It's like he has to he has to like check out 
from being with the kids torturing them to then um, inhabit his own corpse, I think. I mean, doesn't he like right. peace out for a second to be like, uh, I got to quickly animate my bones. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I wish I could do two things at once, but multitasking, you know what I mean? And to that point, like what does Freddy do? Meaning mm-hmm. when, for, for example, Freddy convinces uh, the kid that he's the nurse, he's the, it's they, they're getting sexy. Freddy uh, mm-hmm. binds him with tongues and then, yep. and then tosses him into a hole is that is is what what's happening is freddie's just creating that illusion in the dream arena and then it's overheating the kid and the kid dies does what is freddie's ability to physically manifest or is, like is that a real thing or is that just something that comes later yeah well we know that the, the we know the kid is group hypnotized so like freddie you can pull him out of a dream and into reality but then according to the first movie, his abilities will be more limited. Right. He fades a little. Yes, absolutely. He has to stay in your brain. Right. That's his whole, his only real limitation, I guess. I don't know. I mean, that, it seems like whenever anyone's near that boiler, wherever that is yeah. in the dream, it's always, he is stoking that fire. <laughs> Somebody's got to keep that fire going. So he also is just like working hard labor. He's ordering coal. Yeah. He's shoveling coal. There was a there is a quick one thing we didn't say about the the realist thing I think about these institutional kids mm-hmm. outside of just no one believes them is there's a guy who hits on the nurse who later comes up and Taryn has a, a problem with uh, drugs and he comes to her and is like I have the key to the room with all the drugs like. I can get basically I can get you drugs so we can fuck is the implication. And then when she's like, I'm past it, I'm not going to do that. I'm telling. And he's like, who are they going to believe me or you? And that's like the realest scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's the most upsetting, probably. Oh, absolutely. And we don't get the satisfaction of that asshole dying. No. Like, I know. We deserve to see him die. He's he's doing all the bad stuff. Absolutely. He smokes. (laughs) Yeah, he's the lawyer in Jurassic Park. (laughs) What about something where Freddy is like, I started looking at social media about Me Too, and it really made me think. (laughs) And so now I'm hanging out my shingle, and I've got a new business. I'm attacking abusers of women, minorities. And power generally in their dreams. I love that movie. Yeah. If you want to reboot Freddy and make him a, a an Avenger in that way, <laughs> great. Yeah. I guess like the idea of Freddy being introspective, you know? I'm happy to see that. Or it's it's the Freddy from New Nightmare. It's the Freddy that crosses over from fiction into reality, who's like suddenly a crusader. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically just like Terminator 2, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, what would happen? Uh, what would happen if our monster became our friend? That's our very empowering in its own way. Like, you tormented me, and now you're working for wow. me and on behalf of victims everywhere. Yeah. We love you. Great. This is to woke Freddy. Yeah. If Freddy's worst punishment is he gets woke, everybody wins. <laughs> it's perfect. And then it's more proof that America is, you know... going to the devil i also i really do think i know i bring this up a lot but like slasher movies are so important partly because they really do if not ask then perhaps allow the viewer to ask interesting questions about ethics and punishment because slasher movies are always about disproportionate revenge especially the early ones the bad ones like madman and uh the burning and you know the the classic ones are always about this somebody dies or is maimed or you know drowns because the counselors aren't watching or is burned to death by parents but like somebody who's already kind of from an out group has their life destroyed by people who are already comfortable and safe and then they have to come back and try and get revenge by killing everyone and the only reasonable response is to kill them a second time <laughs> and it's about how normative culture always deserves to seek revenge against anything it finds threatening because very 80s yeah i love it is there anything else we want to say before we talk about daddies mm. 
speed round speed round of, of things we like i think that's in order all the clothes in this movie are fantastic to look at i'll say agree mm-hmm. i will say there is a moment in which they are at the bar they've been talking to uh nancy's father they get a call and find out or they call someone and find out that Kristen patricia arquette has been put in the padded room and nancy gains this information while she is leaning up against a padded wall at the bar that's upholstered <laughs> and i was like what? this production is so thoughtful <laughs> like that was so not needed i don't understand but there's no way that's yeah. a mistake there's no way there that's an accident no amazing like you that's the kind of stuff you like unpack in an ethics and film class in college this like, is not a tour but you're not watching this movie to get it you're watching the deer hunter or some shit so the fact that like that stuff is happening through this movie is crazy and so great yeah well and to your point like these are like the filmmakers who are making these movies are all the people who like just a decade ago lived through the like second golden age of american cinema and so they're like how do i fit i have an opportunity to make something how do i make it work totally i like that um my speed round is i love that they go to the only thai restaurant in town yes thank you that's it that is great in 1987 groundbreaking the best and only so important to bring up absolutely yeah all of nancy's decor choices are like so grown up in a way that really reminds me of like the expectations we had of very young people in the 80s which was that they would all become middle-aged in taste immediately when they joined the workforce yeah and like one of the big one of the big issues in the movie is like getting anyone to take seriously a young woman right so the fact that she has to cosplay as a 70 year old lady yes yeah oh my god totally (laughs) but what's his face he takes her seriously from the i mean he really takes her seriously from the jump like he dr daddy yeah dr daddy defers he defers to her like he really is like i guess you know best yeah I do love that he's like, Nancy, I believe you. You're in charge. Yeah. You do it. She's like, I need yeah. you to put aside everything you think is true. And everything you've learned in your entire life. I am a child in comparison. I am going to need you to shelve all of that and just listen to me. And he's like, yeah, I do. And then the next thing you know, he's totally willing to do whatever she says. He's on board. He's on board. Well, OK, wait. OK, 87. What song would you put the imaginary cut Nancy and Craig Watson sex scene to? First thought, best thought. And it can't be take my breath away. Although I know we're all thinking that. Okay, I've got mine. Okay. I've been waiting (laughs) for a girl like you to come into my life. That's great. That's perfect. We're dream warriors. Mm. (laughs) Don't want to dream no more. I do want to dream. I want to have my powers. I don't need an imaginary friend. I don't need to pull myself out of the dream. I myself am able to conjure my strengths in the form that sort of become magical in a dream. And I can just stay in that dream as long as I want and get as much revenge as I want because I live in America (laughs) and I deserve it. I've earned it. That's the American dream. Yeah. Sarah Marshall. Yes. Here's the thing that we know. Mm. John Saxon. Yes. Nancy's father. That's so true. Who, though? (laughs) Janet Varney is the daddy of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. (sighs) Hard to pick, right? So many daddies. It's really hard. Wait a minute. Do we have to choose? He's the bastard son of a hundred (laughs) maniacs. If ever there's a movie where there's more than one daddy. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is that movie. There's 100 daddies. The daddy is all of us. We're all 100 maniacs. We are. This movie is for all the maniacs inside of all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Is that your answer? It's the the 100 daddies? (laughs) My answer is any daddy will do in this. It's replete with potential daddies in a movie that gives permission for a person to have more than one. I love that. I love that. I'm going to say, um, who was, was it Will who was our wizard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will, I mean, for no reason, because of anything he put forward in the movie necessarily, I just really wanted him to do, I just wanted more of him because yeah. he's the first person I think who we finally see lean into his strength as a means of maybe sort of getting around the danger. And I really wish that was rewarded a little more I than know. it is. Although it is quite funny that like, he does that thing and freddie's like nah you're dead anyway oh it's over so fast yeah but i love him his glasses are huge he's got a quick wit he loves the d and d and um yeah i appreciate will that's a great daddy that is a great daddy thank you so much 
Sarah Marshall. Oh my God. It's, it's so very always Nancy and Heather Langenkamp, who I love and who is the basis of our friendship and therefore this entire podcast existing. Really? Yeah. Hard to argue. She, I think is so wonderful in this. And I love that she came back for another movie. I think she's, she was like 23 the year this movie Mm. came out and has just like such a presence. It's hard to describe, but it's like, she's got substance. Like I agree Janet, with what you were saying, like you really feel like these kids need her and you feel such relief when she turns up. You believe that she's going to lead them to safety, you know, to to some extent. (laughs) Um, And, you know, she gets three survivors. That's pretty damn good. Better than the last time. Yeah. Um, And I love her. And it's so nice that she she's actually doing the thing that we see happen in real life, which is a survivor of trauma pivots their life and it really becomes about I I have this special perspective whether I like it or not but that I get mm-hmm. this feeling of joy we hope that you feel called to help people in that situation mm-hmm. like I love that she doesn't become you know a CEO of a thing that she's like what's important to me is studying understanding and figuring out how I can help people younger than me that's like yeah the perfect reaction if you're gonna have to go through something horrible like that's don't we love seeing that's the anti-revenge in a way you know it's like oh you that's what you care oh it's what a daddy that's such a great point that's so true and yeah i love getting to you know because we spend so much time in movies to quote peter cook rightly or wrongly probably both uh depicting really warped behavior and you know terrible sad responses to trauma that it's it is nice to have some, including this one to an extent, that are like, what else can you do, though? Like, what are the constructive paths that are op- available to you and what heroes can you find? Right. Well, and it's like if you you look at your path of recovery as just for you and not for like sort of mm. your community, mm-hmm. you know, you're only going to get so far. And Nancy, you know, Nancy is able yeah. to look beyond that in a really nice way. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> and she's killed for it. And then we get Heather again in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is a fabulous movie that also John Saxon came back for. I love it. That's how you can tell. What are people going to come back for? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's how you know it's good. You perk up. Oh, New Nightmare, eh? Hmm, Heather's back, eh? (laughs) Message received. All right, everybody. That's it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. I was just talking on Twitter.com with folks who were asking questions about making podcasts. I was just saying the editors and the producers, the people who take all of the things that we've said and make them tight and make sense and coherent, really the just unseen stars of the show. Thank you. Miranda and Carolyn for everything you do to make us sound so good. We really appreciate it. For those of you who don't know, we just like record for, you know, 90 minutes, sometimes 120 minutes, and uh, they turn it into a coherent hour. (laughs) We really, really appreciate that. Thank you to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our episodes sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. Uh, You make the show possible, and we appreciate that, and you get those bonus episodes. Thanks for finding us on uh, Twitter.com, The Bad Place. Thank you for finding us on Instagram. Thank you for finding us on Blue Sky. Thanks for finding me on TikTok, where, again, we're making some videos uh, that come from the show. And we do that over on Instagram as well. I think that's it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. And don't forget, before we see each other again, that you, my friend, are good.